The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which was read to you a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today's reading, it begins with a man named Jairus. Jairus is coming to Jesus because his daughter is at the point of death. And so he gets down on his knees and he begs Jesus to save his daughter. And that's actually what the Greek word, and literally the Greek word, in our English it says, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. In the Greek, the Greek word is sozo, which more literally should be, would say that she may be saved. There's, a, there's, there's an importance to that. So he comes to her and he says this. And so Jesus goes with Jairus and he's making it through the crowd, which is kind of unusual for Jesus because Jesus usually confined himself to the seas. He was always on the water. The reason was, was because the crowds were getting to be too much. That's why he was on the boat by the sea. So here he's going, he's cutting through the crowd because he needs to take the most direct route. And as he's making this journey, a woman who's had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now this is menstrual blood. And for 12 years she's had this discharge, this condition. Which meant that she was considered ceremonially unclean. That meant she could not partake in synagogue, in temple worship. That means she was... Because of the condition she had, she would have been ostracized by her, by her religious leader, by her religious people, by her family, by her friends, by her neighbors, by everybody. Nobody would really want anything to do with her because of the condition she had. And so she did anything and everything she could to try to be healed. I mean, think about that. Imagine if you went 12 years where nobody wanted anything to do with you. You imagine how lonely they would get? Realize how desperate she is? And so like it is today, I'm going to let you in on a deep, dark secret. It is not cheap to visit the doctor. So, and guess what? It was the same way in the first century. It was extraordinarily expensive to visit the doctor. The difference is there was no health care, no, no Medicare, no Medicaid, none of that stuff. You had to go 100% out of your pocket, which is why this woman was, at, was broke. She had nothing left financially. But she heard the stories about Jesus. She heard that he had been doing wonders, that he had calmed a storm, that he had, he had cast out a legion of demons, and he's been doing all these miracles. And so kind of almost a last-ditch effort. She's got that, I mean, she's got faith. It's not strong, and it's there. Just a teensy-weensy, itsy-bitsy, little mustard seed faith is where she's at. It's kind of like, I, I can't help but think of, there's a movie called The Man on the Moon. came out back in the 90s, starred Jim Carrey about the life of Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman, at the end of his life, had um, lung cancer, a very rare form of it. And he went to the doctors, and they couldn't do anything. 
And in the movie, it shows that he makes a journey down to the Caribbean, one of those islands, and he visits one of those mystic healers, and kind of as a last-ditch effort, he's hoping that one of these healing crystals would do it. And of course, Andy Kaufman, it did not work. And actually, Andy Kaufman, who is a notorious con artist, saw how this guy was conning him. But it's kind of a neat little moment of the movie. But the point is, it's that last-ditch effort. That's what this woman is doing. But the thing is, is she's demonstrating even that tiny little itty bit of faith is what faith is. There's a difference between saying, you know, I believe Jesus could heal me, and then going on about your business, pretending, and just, yeah, whatever, and then go talk about the weather or whatever. Faith is where you believe it, and she does what she does, and she touches that cloak. That is faith. That is the very definition of faith. Faith is not just believing that something is true. Faith is believing that something is true and grabbing hold of it. And actually taking, catching it. That's what she did. And when she did this, you know, Jesus goes, who's touching me? Who touched me? And they're like, thousands of people are touching you. But because of all these people. And the woman, the minute she realized that she had been healed, came back to, Je came to Jesus on her face, just like Jairus did a few moments earlier. And she came, down, came on her feet, face in true, strong faith in Jesus. Because she knew that if, somebody, if there was somebody so great that just simply by touching their cloak, I would be, they would be healed, of a disease that they have fought for 12 years and no doctor could take care of it? That guy's pretty amazing. He's got to be from God. But remember, Jairus is still waiting on the situation with his daughter. His daughter is sick. The Bible doesn't really tell us what's going on in Jairus' mind. But I always kind of wonder, is Jairus, does Jairus start to get impatient? Does he start to say, hey, Jesus, there's a lot of people. You could come back later and find out who touched you. Or, you know, you, okay, you figured it out. Let's go. If he had any of those fears, the fears got verified. When one of his servants come to him and say, your daughter is dead. And so, but Jesus says, do not fear, but believe. And so they continue on their way. To the, to the house. And outside there are these people. They're, the, they're, they're mourning. They're weeping and wailing. To which Jesus says to them. Why, what's all the commotion? The girl's not dead. But sleeping. Which by the way. is a very good little thing of Jesus is saying. Is that. For a Christian. One who dies in faith. You're not really dead. You're just taking an exceedingly long nap. Which is why he said, she's sleeping. That is him saying, she's going to wake up in a little bit. But the thing is, he says this, and those people who are weeping and wailing, they, don't, they, don't, they start to laugh at Jesus. They laugh at him hysterically, like just a mocking, jeering laugh. Almost like a hyena-type laugh. And, but the thing, and this is where you learn that these guys that are weeping and wailing... They don't actually care about the girl. These are actually, this is something that exists in the first century.
For those of you who are really good at crying on the spot, in the first century, there was a job for you. There were people that were literally paid. So, for example, the funeral home, if they were in the first century, they would have to have on dial or whatever, on contact, a group of people who whenever somebody died and at their funeral, they would have to be there and cry for that person. Weeping and wailing. So these are people that the only reason they're weeping and wailing is to get a paycheck. And they actually got paid pretty good. Because the whole idea was the more people you had crying over your death, the more important you were. By the way, these very same groups of people would be there at Jesus' crucifixion. When he says, weep not for me, but weep for you and your children. He's not talking to the faithful. He's talking to the professional mourners. Well, Jesus goes in with his disciples, with, with the mother, with Jairus and his wife. And he goes to that girl and just says to her, little girl, rise. And she gets up and she walks around because she's 12 years old. That's the deal detail. But so why is it that these two texts, these two stories, these two events, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are, they are connected in all three of those Gospels. It happens exactly in that order. And there is a reason. Because you think about that Jairus, when he lost his daughter. I mean, it may, it may have only been for a few moments. It was not long. But I guarantee you that for him, it was long. To not to have your daughter dead, your only daughter, as the Gospel of Luke tells us. At the age of 12, dead. The time it took for Jesus to get to the house, to go in there, and to say, little girl, arise, it must have felt like an eternity. Whenever someone loses a, a family member, it feels like there is a hole in that family. It feels like something is missing, and you notice it every single time when you look at that chair where they would sit at. Every time you look at the bedroom that they used to stay in. You feel that hole in the family. But when Jesus rose that girl from the dead, that family was made whole again. When he talked to that woman who was healed, he said to her, Daughter. Notice what he calls her. Daughter. This woman, who pretty, her family has already has disavowed her. Her friends have disavowed her. Her community, her religious leaders, everyone has disconnected them from her. And right here, right then, the very Son of God who spoke the world into creation, who just did this incredible wonder for her, says... Daughter. He calls her his daughter. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See, the connection in these two stories, why they exist like this. I mean, part of it is the historical. Yes, that's historically how it happened. But one of the things you learn about Jesus, he tends to do a lot of things intentionally. He does it on purpose. So, Jesus could have found another way, but I'll bet you he knew exactly where that woman was going to be. So, kind of remember Zacchaeus, he knew where he was in that tree. So, 
But anyways, but also because, like I said, Jesus is teaching something. When the, woman, when the girl was risen, he told everyone, don't say anything to anyone. This is something that Jesus does throughout the Gospel of Mark. Don't tell about the miracle. And the reason is, is because people would seek Jesus only for a miracle rather than what they really need. Remember the paralytic. What is the very, if you're familiar with the story of the paralytic, what is the very first thing Jesus does? He forgives his sins. He doesn't say, pick up your mat and walk and go on your merry way. No, before he ever does that, he says, son, or man, I can't remember the title he uses there, but he says, your sins are forgiven. Then he heals them later. And the reason is, is because that's what he needed more than being healed. He needed his sins forgiven. See, we also, we are not born with the discharge of blood for 12 years, but we are born with the disease of sin. Sin that it caused, is the cause of literally every single disease, every single death that it ever has happened. We are born in it. We are born dead. And the thing is, is I want you to know that whenever we talk about sin, the pastor is never standing up here and saying, boy, you guys really got to be a lot more like me. You'd be so much better off. Now, do you know what color my shirt is underneath here? Black. Last week would have been a trick question because it wasn't black. I had that costume on. But it's black. The reason is, is it's a reminder to you, whenever you see that black shirt, it's not a reminder that the pastor is so awesome. Rather, it is a reminder that the pastor is an awful sinner. He fails over and over and over again. And he deserves death. In fact, that is why he, like you, will one day die. That is what it reminds you of. So we, that's why when we confess our sins, you'll notice the pastor confesses right with you. And so all of us are guilty of sin. All of us bear this. All of us, because of our sin, are at odds with God. We are enemies of God on account of our sin. And yet, you know, throughout the week, we talked about this education Bible school. We talked a lot about one word. Baptism, right? Well, one day, the pastor brought you here, and he says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And according to 1 Peter chapter 3, baptism saves you. Baptism now saves. So in there, when you receive that baptism... You who are an enemy of God, you who are estranged from him, who are at enmity with him, you became his child. He said, daughter, son, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And in fact, in the service today, we have kind of a neat little progression that happens in some of our liturgies. So you'll pray the Lord's Prayer. We'll say, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. So you say, forgive us our trespasses. Then, pastor will say, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And sometimes the bread and wine is elevated. 
Then you will sing, Lamb of God, O Christ, thou Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. But the last one we say, grant us your peace. And then you'll come up to this altar, and the pastor will say, we will say, take, eat. This is the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Take, drink. This is the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shed for you on the cross for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And you, in faith, will grab hold of that bread, grab hold of that cup. You will eat it. You will drink it. And the pastor will say, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. And then you go see. And then you sing the words. Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace. The prayer that you prayed in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, that is the Lord's Supper is the answer to that prayer. That is where your faith grabs hold of salvation and you are saved. And so that one day, the day is going to come that we will pass from this world. But because we die in the faith, just like with the little girl, you don't really die. You just take an exceedingly long nap. And Jesus is going to one day come to you and say, little, God, little girl, little man, little lady, little boy, whatever you want to say, arise, and you will. That is what Christ has done for you in the cross. That is what we, that is what faith, what God gives us is our faith, which even faith is a gift. The faith that he gifted us clings to baptism, clings to his word, clings to his supper. He saves you and sends you in peace. So may we go and live in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you, the ones you faith, to life everlasting. Amen.